Hello and welcome. My name is Juanita Headley. I am a New York attorney and the founder and CEO of Changing Cases. You are listening to a set of podcasts, a series dealing with the issues of human trafficking, child abuse, and of course, knowing how to respond to the question. Can you keep a Over the following weeks and months, I will be tackling some hard-hitting topics with a view to educate, empower, and inspire you to change the way that you think, act, and respond to better safeguard the children in your world. Stay tuned until the end of this show, where I'll be sharing not only how you can get a copy of my new book, but I'll also inform you of some upcoming live Zoom trainings and how you can contact me to have your questions featured in a future episode of this show. Let's talk about human trafficking and smuggling. Unfortunately, there are many who do not understand that these are two very distinct crimes. With smuggling, that can be simply defined as being consensual, whereas trafficking is done against a person's will. However, a smuggling case can indeed become trafficking because it moves over from consenting to where a person is forced to engage in sex or labor trafficking, domestic servitude, giving of their organ against their will. It is a very simplistic way of explaining it, but I think it is important for us to understand that these two things are indeed very different and very separate. As I have mentioned previously, when it comes to human trafficking, movement is not a requirement. With smuggling, smuggling would be moving a person from point A to point B. We hear of people being smuggled from a third world country into a place like the United States or the United Kingdom. That is movement. Trafficking does not even require movement. And these two offenses can be considered and looked at in very distinct, different ways to enable us to be able to determine whether a person has indeed been given the free will to decide if they will engage in an activity which may be illegal or criminal, whether they have not consented or decided to engage. A person may be smuggled into a country and then, for example, engage in prostitution. That may look on face value as though it is trafficking because they are engaging in sex with others, engaging in prostitution, engaging in pornography, engaging in the sex industry. But even so, that person may have consented to moving from A to B, which is the smuggling, and consenting to selling their bodies. What I will say is very sad is that there are women who, for lack of opportunity, enter into the sex industry not by choice but by the use of false fraud or coercion and stay in the sex industry because they may feel that this is all that they can do, they do not speak the language, 
They do not have skills. They do not even have legal documentation. And so there are women who may appear to be in the sex industry of their own free will, but is it really free will when they have not had the opportunity to make an honest living? They have not been given legal documentation. They have entered into the country under false pretenses, whether with fake documentation or whether they have come in illegally. And therefore, it is very difficult to change the dynamics of their stay. Most countries, when a person has entered illegally, unless you have been a victim of a crime or human trafficking, they will automatically move towards deportation. And there are individuals that are sometimes in prison, deportation centers, despite the fact that they are victims. And I know that there are some amazing organizations that do support men and women who are indeed deemed to be criminals when in fact they are in, instead victims. Now, how can we differentiate between human trafficking and smuggling? With smuggling, there is the consent. With human trafficking, deception may also be involved. Now, not all the time, but the difference between trafficking and smuggling is with smuggling, you've consented, but with the trafficking, there has been some form of deception. With smuggling, it is a crime against the border. This is a person entering into a country illegally. Human trafficking is a crime against a person. You're exploiting a person, sex, labor, organs. With smuggling, it is transport-based. With human trafficking, it is exploitation-based. With smuggling, it is voluntary, consensual or voluntary. With human trafficking, no border requirement crossing is necessary. With smuggling, requirements of border crossing. With human trafficking, it is involuntary. Now just take a moment and look at the two of those, smuggling and human trafficking side by side. Someone said recently, with human trafficking, it is a journey to a promised life that is false. A journey to a promised life that is forced. And for smuggling, they said, journey to work or a new lifestyle. And I really appreciate it and I like what they've said because in many instances, that is exactly what has taken place. A person who smuggled has consented to cross the border. It has been voluntary. They have moved from A to B. They entered into an agreement, knowing some of the risks involved, but being willing to take it. With human trafficking, whether intentionally or unintentionally, there is often a lot of deception. A lot of information is kept back. And that may be unintentionally. The recruiter maybe doesn't know all that will take place when that individual lands in the next country. I'm not making excuses, but I'm just saying that depending on the amount of individuals involved, 
in the stage from recruitment until arrival in the destination country or re recruitment until they arrive at the place where they'll be working or exploited. It is important to point out not every individual along that journey knows everything. They may not have all the information. One of the things I often think about when I hear about individuals who have been smuggled into a country is that there has to be a motivation behind them leaving family, friends, leaving their home environment and going to the unknown. Of course, I appreciate and understand that the media often glamorizes the life in the West. And having been to many third world countries, there is this mistaken belief that Westerners are rich and that is not the case. And many, many years ago, women and men coming from the Caribbean to the UK had the belief that the streets were paved with gold. That is not the reality. What people don't understand from the outside looking in is that over here in the United Kingdom, the cost of living is high, so the salaries are high. Even as I think about moving house, when I move house and have to rent, I can choose to rent for a high sum and have nothing left to be able to spend. Now let's imagine, for example, that I'm earning £1,000 a month and I move into a property that costs £700 a month. Now let's imagine that's what I've done. All I have remaining is 300 pounds. So somebody from a third world country will think, wow, a thousand pounds, that's a lot of money. But it really isn't a lot if you consider that I've spent 700 pounds on rent, 100 pounds for my tithes and offering, only 200 pounds remains. What can I do with 200 pounds? Food, transport, social life without alcohol, I can't do much with it. And so that's one of the things. Often we don't understand what things are like. When we're looking from the outside in, we sadly live in a bubble. It's only the understanding and the perception that we have from the information presented before us. Knowledge is power. Now, I am only one person and there's only so much I can do. But when I do travel to third world countries, I do tell them we're not rich. I can't say that I've been effective in my message because when they see that I've traveled all around the world, they're not understanding that it's not about rich, it's about the value of the currency. And what we have to understand is when a person has never been in our shoes, no matter how you may try to convince them that the reality is that it's expensive here in the UK, that we're not rich, we have tax and council tax and insurance, they're not seeing it that way. Even purchasing a vehicle. Imagine if my salary is a thousand British pounds, 700 is rent, a hundred is tithes, 200 left over. How could I ever purchase a car? How could I maintain a car? It's unrealistic and illogical. And sometimes we as people do live outside of our means. I've heard people make the comment that with prostitutes, women enter into prostitution because they like sex or because they want to be sexually empowered because they've been a victim in the past or because they want to have control over the men or because they want to buy nice things. Now, depending on where these women are selling their sexual services, they may or may not make a decent wage, if I can call it that. 
And in certain parts of Europe, prostitution is legal. Now, I personally have huge issue with prostitution being legal. I have never considered prostitution to be a job. In fact, the question that I have, if prostitution is a job, then why is it that 90, 90% of women in the United States who are prostitutes were sexually abused as children? Now, when I heard that statistic, I said in my mind, prostitution has chosen them and not the other way around. But if I was wrong, let's assume my assumption was wrong and prostitution is a job. Well, my question is why is prostitution only for adults? When I was 15 and I started work, I worked in a restaurant and I worked in a hotel. Now at 15, I began working and it was legal. I started in school, it was part of a work placement. The question I have is why is it when I was 15, I could not become a prostitute? Now, I did not consider that would be a vocation I'd go into, but I was curious. Why could I not be a prostitute at 15? And the reason why is unlike other jobs, prostitution requires a minimum age of entry, and that age is 18. You can't be 17 and a half, you've got to be 18. What about entrepreneurs? What about when you go to schools or colleges and you get involved in an apprenticeship work experience you don't have an apprenticeship for prostitution even when you go to school and you have a careers day you go to university and employers come in to scout for talent having graduated from university having left school when i was 15 and a half when my school year had ended year ended in july my birthday was august when I left and we were discussing careers prior to leaving, I was not informed or educated that prostitution would be a great vocation to go into. When I went to university during the freshers week, there were various activities that we could engage in and get involved in. However, none of those activities involved engaging sexually with others for the purpose of acquiring money or something of benefit. And when I graduated some years later and individuals had come to scout for talent, I did not see a stand where they were scouting for prostitutes. I did a project called Sex Weeks where I was researching in the United States some of the projects that they were involved in a university. When I say projects, this is where young people would set up an organization or a society. And Sex Weeks was rolled out across some USA universities. And this is where students would learn and discuss about pornography, homosexuality. I had cause for concern. There would be stands with sex toys, sex, sex objects, contraceptions. These were opportunities for students to learn about orgies, about bondo, sadomasochism, BDSM. And of course, in certain areas of the country, in certain Christian communities specifically, there was outreach. Some of the things that I read, I was concerned. 
Because we as people, we only have as much knowledge as what we've received. When my clients say that they're stupid, they're an idiot, I say, no, you're not. You were uninformed. We make decisions of who to date, who to marry on the basis of the knowledge that we have. And so when these women say that they're stupid, I say, well, number one, words are powerful. You have been criticized and degraded so much. You don't need to do that to yourself. And you are not stupid. Maybe your decision was unwise, but you were uninformed. You did not meet a man, date him, get pregnant, invest six, seven, eight, ten, fifteen years of your life for him to beat you up. You didn't do that uninformed. Many of us are uninformed. Irrespective of your walk in life, we are uninformed. But I will say, 70 or 80 years ago, the men, women, boys and girls that were growing up 70 years ago, they were really uninformed. Because of the advent of technology, specifically the internet, we are too informed. We have become too intellectual in things we shouldn't know about. We have children sexting, making sex videos, watching pornography, creating, distributing pornography, sending nude photographs amongst each other. 70 years ago, there was no mobile phones. Even 30 years ago, there were no, no, no mobile phones 30 years ago. The point I'm trying to make is... When you have sex weeks at university, you are informing and educating these students into things they would never have thought about. Until you have been educated about something, you don't know. A child of one, of two, of three, who has not been the victim of sexual abuse is uninformed of things of a sexual nature. They are innocent. Even teenagers may be innocent. Adults may be innocent. If you come from a small community of people, if you're from the Amish community, if you're a devout Christian, Muslim, if you come from a devout religion where they speak about sex after marriage and you do not expose yourself to things of a sexual nature, you are innocent. You are uninformed. And the reality is that we have men and boys watching pornography. And when they watch pornography, they get ideas of what to engage in sexually with their girlfriend or boyfriend. Unfortunately, when individuals watch pornography, that becomes their reality. And I have heard of some disgusting, disturbing things that have taken place in pornography where the women are degraded down so much and they cry real tears but men watch this, boys watch this and believe this is how women want to be treated. There are even women and girls who watch pornography who want their boyfriend to rape them. Now that is a concern. But if you watch pornography and you've never engaged sexually or have little sexual experience, the pornography will become your reality. I even know of somebody who told me when I got married to my husband as a virgin, I suggested that we watch pornography to learn. Fortunately, her husband disagreed with that. And they were able to engage in sexual activity in their marriage without viewing pornography. But it is sad that this individual even thought about that. What about individuals who struggle? For example, men who maybe struggle with masturbation. Watching pornography in their minds may keep them sexually pure, may stop them from engaging sexually with another person. 
However, often when a boy watches pornography, he is engaging sexually with himself. And according to the Bible, that is deemed a sin. Now for non-believers, all things are okay. In the New Testament, I believe it's Paul, he says that not everything that we do is good for us. Yes, there are things available for us to engage in, but not everything that is out there is good for us, is wholesome for us, is positive for us. When you're a believer, you have to think about what you're engaging in, the things that you watch, the things that you listen to, the people you surround yourselves with. The Bible says bad company corrupts good character. I'm going to go one step further. I'm going to challenge you. What sort of books do you read? What sort of movies do you read? Because whether we accept it or not, the things we expose ourselves to become our reality. Many years ago, some of the books that women used to love reading were Mills and Boone's romantic novels. Now, the challenge with reading that is some women may end up being dissatisfied in their relationship. Now, that is a storybook. It's fictitious. And even though a man may love his wife, girlfriend or partner, he may not shower her with flowers every week, every month. He may forget their anniversary. But when you read these books, your expectations of what should be going on in your relationships will go very high and become unrealistic. Somebody recently said to me, "Who? well, this person, I should say, doesn't know me. And they said, Juanita, you should lower your expectations. You should stop expecting a perfect person. Now, not being funny, if you do not know me, you've never met me, we've spoken three or four times, you have no place to tell me anything about my expectations because the relationship we have is, is platonic. The relationship we have is very temporary. It is short term and it has only lasted approximately a week. And the nature of our discussions has never been around relationships. For you to say that, you have no right to make that judgment. For me personally, I do not expect perfection. But as a strong Christian, there are expectations that I have that are reasonable. As I said recently in an interview, we as people can make decisions on the basis of the position we're at in our lives. Is that a position of desperation? Is it a position of neediness, of want? We need to know the difference between expectations that are realistic and expectations that are unrealistic and are on a level of perfection. For me personally, my desire is to seek God's will for my life. That does not mean to say that I expect a perfect spouse. And in fact, that comment the person made was very inappropriate, ignorant and naive. They do not know my history. They do not know my story. And I say that because when we look at people around us, we as humans judge that man, that woman. We don't realize that whatever they're doing, maybe their intentions may be pure. Now, I'm not referring to sexual abuse, but I'm referring to a person who's selling their own body. I'm referring to a person who's smuggled into a country. Whether that person's behavior is criminal or not, the fact is their intentions may be pure. When a person sells an organ because they need the money to feed family, when a woman sells her body for sex, so she can put a roof over her family's head. When a person is smuggled into a country illegally, so they can pay for their family's medical bills. I'm not saying criminal or illegal activity is okay. The laws are there to be abided by, but I'm saying we should not judge a person's intentions. We have no right to do that because we don't understand why a person does what they do.
I hear stories all the time of abuse and rape. When people read that, they become incensed and angry. Death penalty, castration. Is that really the solution? I don't think so. And in fact, in next week's episode, I will be discussing with Chris Cavallero the topic of human trafficking. He calls himself an awareness warrior, and he'll be sharing with you how he feels he has a duty and an obligation to take the message of human trafficking as far and wide as he can go. Even if he changes only one person's lives, he knows that he has done his duty. He believes that there is a purpose for people on this earth, and sometimes we do not even know our purpose. Chris Cavallero, he has discovered one of his purposes, and that is to raise awareness. Now, as many of you know, I personally do not like the term awareness. For me, that is knowing and doing nothing. In my own personal story of being abused, as I shared recently in an interview, my family members were aware that I was abused. On more than one occasion, they were aware, but they did nothing. So that term awareness is truly appropriate in my story in relation to my family members. They were aware I was abused because I had confided in family members and cousins, to be precise. I confided in my cousins when I was maybe eight or nine. My family were aware of this. We were meant to have the discussion. And no discussion happened. As a result, the abuse continued. So I feel, in such an instance, the term awareness is truly appropriate because my family knew I was being abused and did absolutely nothing. I will say that with Chris Cavallero, although he uses the term awareness from our conversation, I believe he does not raise awareness. I believe that he educates and empowers people on the topics of human trafficking and pedophilia, and he will be sharing with us in next week's episode a little bit about what he believes about his heart and a little bit about his perspective on human trafficking. Thank you for listening to another episode of Can You Keep a Secret? I trust that the information has been useful to you. I believe that we all need knowledge and education, and when we have a better understanding of topics such as abuse, it enables us to better safeguard the children in our world. For a better understanding of the topics being covered each week, then please reach out to me for a copy of my new book, Can You Keep a Secret? You can follow me, message or email me, so I can answer your questions in upcoming episodes. We can all learn from one another. And this is an educational series that I hope will impact and change not just your life, but also that of the people around you. You can find all my contact details on my website, changingcases.org. That's changingcases.org. Remember to share this podcast with friends and family members. There are victims and survivors in your world. You just don't know it. But if we can all be educated. Then the world will be a safer place. Please tune in next week for another episode with guest speaker Chris Cavallero, awareness warrior, talking on human trafficking and paedophilia.